You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Happy Monday. Um, I've been working on putting together a live stream topic about keeping our credibility in the age of fake news. And uh, is, is it just me or is reliable information becoming increasingly more difficult to find? I am struggling too. So I wanted to share some things that have been helpful to me as I've thought this through from a distinctly Christian point of view. I try to choose topics week after week that are relevant to your life because I truly and honestly believe that theology ought to shape our everyday life. I don't think that theology is just an academic exercise. I think that theology is something that ought to inform our decisions and how we parent and what we talk about with our children while we're walking with them down the street or driving with them in the minivan. I truly honestly believe that everyone is a theologian. We can be a good theologian or a bad theologian, a sloppy theologian, but we all have ideas about God and we teach those ideas to our children. So when we think about fake news, when I really started noticing a shift was during the 2016 presidential campaign, it seemed like there was just a pace of information that I had never seen before. I've lived through a lot of elections in my life. You know, I just turned 50. I've, I've lived through a lot of elections and I, it just all of a sudden became increasingly hard to figure out the facts. Like, and, and the, the news reporting was so emotional. Like it was all seemed to be so designed to uh, be an invitation to anger and division and Formerly trusted sources such as mainstream news outlets like Time Magazine or NBC or CNN were just no longer widely reliable. And, and I think really for many people, a major tipping point happened right after the election. When I remember waking up on the morning of the election of 2016, believing that that Hillary Clinton was going to win, all of the polling had consistently been for months that Hillary was going to win. And it shocked the world when Trump won. Uh, And he won by a wide margin. And it was very interesting. And I think that that event really revealed to people like, hey, there seems to be something happening here. Like there seemed to be an irreversible cynicism about the mainstream media that even people who had been previously kind of more trusting of the mainstream media on some level just stopped interacting with them as being an accurate source of information. And it has continued. It didn't really blow over after the election. It seems to be escalating during this time of quarantine. And I see many people asking, how do we know what to believe? Who do we know who to believe? So I just thought we would talk about it. It won't be an exhaustively complete answer, but I do hope that you will find it helpful. So let's start about talking about why this question should matter to Christians. Why should Christians go the extra mile to make sure that what we share on social media is based in as much fact as possible? Um, I actually think that this is a very important question to think about 
and it has direct gospel implications. And I'm going to explain why I'm going to give several reasons for why I think this should, this issue uh, should matter. Uh, The first one is here is why should it matter is because Jesus calls himself the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life in John uh, chapter 14. If I think it's interesting that when Jesus goes before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asks him, you know, what is truth? And Jesus kind of says, in effect, like I'm standing right here. Like, I think that it's interesting that one of Jesus's names almost is truth. And so if we are going to be his disciples, we too want to emulate him. We want to follow his example and we want to point people to the truth. And in fact, we want to point them to Jesus. Um, Another very interesting point is that we don't want to bear false witness against our neighbor. It's one of the things that God hates in Proverbs chapter six. uh, There's a list of the things that God hates. It says this, there's six things God hates. And we see in verse 19 there, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. These are among the things that God hates. It's a very strong word. My mother always taught me not to use the word hate, but it is a very strong word. Um, And I think that it's, it's a sobering thought to know that there are many verses in God's law about telling the truth. One of the 10 commandments is you shall not lie. Um, Not bearing false witness against our neighbor is a big deal to God. And so when we're sharing something on social media, we want to make sure as much as possible that we are not engaging in false witness, half truths and slander. A third reason that Christians should care about accuracy when we share something on social media is because we should treat other people's ideas the way we want our ideas and opinions to be treated. And that is with fairness and accuracy. We call this the golden rule. Um, In fact, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus's whole summary of the entire Old Testament teaching is to treat one another the way we want to be treated. We don't like it when atheists mischaracterize our behavior. We don't like it when people say half truths about us as Christians and what we believe. We don't like it when people say slanderous things about us. So we want to lead. We want to lead with charity. We want to lead with accuracy. I spend hours researching things sometimes looking carefully at articles and videos to make sure that what I say in my videos is as accurate and fair as possible. To me, the highest compliment is for somebody who disagrees with me to say that I characterize their viewpoint accurately and fairly. Um, And it's so gratifying to me when I get those letters. Um, They can disagree with me. That's no problem but at least they feel like I represented them accurately and fairly. That's very important for Christians to to think about and to consider. 
We also, another reason that this should matter to Christians to keep our credibility in the age of fake news is that we want to maintain our credibility so that people will listen to us when we preach the gospel. And this is what I mean earlier when I said this has a direct tie-in to the gospel because Christians are making a very audacious and bold claim. We are claiming, we are preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. He was the God man. He was God come in human form and he died for the sins of the world. When we look in the New Testament, we see scriptures like Luke chapter one, where it says that uh, Luke is reporting eyewitness accounts that he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. We see in second Peter chapter one, uh, this description that we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What we are telling people about Jesus is not fake news, but what happens when our social media feed is filled with a lot of kind of half truths and guilt by association and some truth. And then we have Jesus posts. How does that come across to a non-Christian? Are they going to take us seriously if they know that we are posting parody uh, accounts as if they're truth and we're mixed up about things that they have access to as truth, it undermines our credibility to them. Well, why should I trust you when you start talking about Jesus? You can't get these things correct. So you don't want to be expending that relationship collateral on social media with fake posts. (laughs) And so this is why I think this ought to matter to Christians. I think it's very important for Christians to prize truth to advocate for truth, that we are motivated by truth, not feelings, not gotcha memes, not arrogance, not making fun of other people's positions. Rather, we want to advocate for truth with a heart posture that reflects the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter five, we read about the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance. Is your social media feed one of a reflection of forbearance with people who disagree with you? Is it full of kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? We want to have a social media feed that reflects the fruit of the spirit and love. Now I want to talk about some common obstacles to getting good information Uh, in the age of fake news. And I've got five obstacles. When we're thinking about getting good quality information in the age of fake news, there are some very real obstacles that are before us. And so I want us to be aware of what some of those obstacles are. And then kind of in the third movement of this teaching, I'm going to talk about how to overcome some of those obstacles. So the first obstacle that I see is that of deliberate misinformation. Mainstream uh, media is, uh, you know, uh, is its own obstacle in some ways. Now, supposedly there are fake news sites, fake news organizations who write news articles that appear like news articles 
for profit, and then they share them using bots on social media to targeted group of people, uh, targeted groups of people that they think will be interested in this information, and they present it as true. And the intention is for people to share these fake news items, um, and people sometimes get deceived by them. And this was the big concern after the election in 2016. Now, I have to tell you in all honesty, um, I have not personally come across one of these sites of intentional fake news um, that you always hear about in the media that are such a big concern. Uh, I'm going to assume all things. I'm going to assume and and just believe that these are out there. I personally haven't had a huge problem with this, but supposedly they're out there. So I'm including it on the list. I think more common in this category is that of the mainstream media reporting stories that are overly biased or possibly even hoaxes. There, there have been a number of these incidents now. Um, it doesn't seem to be anomalous. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're familiar with Project Veritas. It's a great kind of undercover group. Um, they are coming at things from a more conservative point of view, so they do tend to do investigative reporting on matters that will interest conservatives. And I want to encourage you to, to check out, um, you know, and, and vet them as well. But they have done a number of very interesting undercover videos looking at mainstream news media outlets, a CNN and CBS more recently last week, that it does seem as though there is an agenda in play behind the news that that shapes the news narratives that are presented um, to the point of almost being made up at times. I think that there is a deliberate and intentional misinformation that sometimes can be a problem uh, for people. So let's look at number two. What is this? This is a second obstacle to getting good news, and that is misleading headlines. Now, if you're not familiar with the term clickbait, that's where this comes in. It's not uncommon to see a headline that states something extremely sensational as fact, but then in the body of the article, it actually says something different. This is what people mean by clickbait. Headlines that catch the reader's attention. Ooh, I want to click on that. You know, do this one thing or eliminate this one thing or um, see what this star looks like now. And it, it's designed to make you click on it and it catches the reader's attention. And it, it sometimes these things are an aspect of fake news. And here's one that um, I came across just yesterday. It's from The Sun, which is a British, I think, tabloid. Um, but it was being shared on social media. Uh, it says, Species jump, cat owner, cat and owner both die after catching coronavirus in Spain. Well, this is a big sensational headline because there's been a lot of conversation that the virus can't jump from a cat to an owner. And but then if you click through to it and then you scroll down you, and you scroll down and you read carefully, do you see kind of about halfway down here? It says, the cat uh, was tested after death and found to have a low level infection, but the vet insists it was a pre-existing condition, which led him to be put to sleep. So it's not exactly 
what the headline reads. It didn't, the cat didn't die of coronavirus. It, it may have had it, but it was a, a pre-existing condition that actually caused the cat to die. But they pick the most sensational headline to get people to click on it. And you have to click on it and read it carefully in order to really know what it's saying. So before clicking on that share button, it is very important to always click through to the article and take time to read it carefully, even when it's from what you think is a trusted source. Now, another obstacle that is makes getting accurate news very difficult is sensational news blog sites. Now, these are blog sites that look like news and they summarize news stories, but they do it in a fairly sensationalized way. They're they're designed to evoke certain emotions in the reader and usually geared toward a certain crowd. Often they'll be geared toward inciting emotions in conservatives or liberals or toward Christians or toward social justice advocates, whatever the tribe is that they are trying to get to click. Um, they will spin the headline and the story to get you to click through and then to activate your emotions. That's what their whole goal is in doing this because that's how they make money. They make money by how many clicks they get. And so, for example, I think this is a really good example of a, uh, of what I'm talking about here is the Huffington Post. The Huffington Post is a more liberal leaning um, blog site that summarizes news stories and they gear everything to kind of set off the emotions of their end users or end readers, which tend to be liberals. And so they, they design their stories in such a way and their headlines that will reinforce narratives in the minds of liberals. So if you're using HuffPo as your main news source and you find yourself be feeling angry all the time, there's probably a very good reason for that. These articles are designed to stir up your emotions. Now, there's actually some Christian examples of sites like this, and I'm just going to show you one that's very popular called Pulpit and Pen. Uh, Pulpit and Pen is a evangelical Christian, very conservative uh, kind of news blog site. And it has a lot of clickbaity type um, headlines. And it's designed to get conservative Christians really emotionally activated. And I can't tell you how many times I've been on pulpit and pen. And the way that they slant the stories, when you really research it, you're like, okay, this doesn't exactly say what pulpit and pen says that it says it, it you know, they, but they slant it a certain way and they want to get people's emotions activated where everything is a scandal and nearly everybody is a heretic. So if you see an article from pulpit and pen in your social media feed, and there's kind of a tagline about how people are running away from the faith, they're compromising the faith, blah, blah, blah. And they click, they link to a pulpit and pen article just you have to kind of know something about their perspective and where they're coming from. OK, so and again, I'm going to talk more about what to do in these types of situations in, in a few minutes here. Now, the fourth obstacle uh, when it comes to getting good information 
is social media sharing. Now, social media is driven by algorithms, by computer algorithms. And these algorithms are driven by shares, likes, follows, comments. All of these things help to boost your algorithm. So essentially, social media turns the news into a massive popularity contest. It's like the ultimate running for prom queen in high school. Um, when you see an article pop up in your feed, it's likely because it's had a lot of interaction. It's had a lot of likes and shares and comments and, and that sort of thing. Now, that could be a plus. Um, social media has launched many unknown writers into a place that traditional publishing uh, would have barred them from. They don't have big book deals. There are no name people, but they build a platform through their writing and reporting through social media. And I am very entrepreneurial in my mindset. Um, and so I think that there could be some good there. New writers who are good writers have been discovered. And um, so I see that as theoretically not an evil thing, potentially a good thing. But we also have to be aware there are a couple of downsides to this. Uh, first, just because something is popular and widely shared doesn't mean that it's true. You could have a widely shared uh, article in your social media feed that is completely bogus or poorly argued. And that happens all the time. But the algorithm is good. The popularity is good. So it just keeps propagating further and further through the social media feeds. Second, how these algorithms work is actually a highly guarded proprietary secret. They're run by Facebook and YouTube and Google and all of these, these um, kind of social media aggregates. And many have wondered um, how, it, whether the perspectives of the owners of Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and the like, um, if they control the algorithms behind the scenes to more heavily propagate certain points of view over other views. So this is called shadow banning. Um, shadow banning is when a company makes it very hard to find someone's content. For example, in my own site, I have like 1,300 followers, I think, on my public Facebook page. So if you go to my public Facebook page, I have a certain amount of followers. But pretty consistently, my posts, five shares is an astronomically high number for me to have. Uh, 462 views is really like a healthy post for me. But if we scroll down a little bit farther, yeah, like three likes on that post, that's my norm. <laughs> and you, most of my posts only go to about 150 people, um, even though I have 1,400 followers. Um, oftentimes, my own husband uh, doesn't see my posts on my public page. Um, so there seems to be something in the algorithm at times that maybe works against me. If even though I have all these followers, not all of them see my content. And so you might think you're following somebody, but you're actually not seeing a lot of their content. And so you have to, I think maybe only three or four posts a year for me go to nearly all my followers. Um, so if you want to follow somebody, you really almost have to be intentionally vigilant 
about checking their content or setting the alerts. Because the net effect of shadow banning for you, the end user, is that you don't see a lot of the content. Here's another great example. Um, our friend Uju Ekoicha, um, who's a former guest on our show, she's a great, she's my favorite Twitter personality. She's been hovering about 100,000 followers for a long time now. And she's fantastic. If you aren't following Uju, go follow her on Twitter. Um, I love her. I love her tweets. Um, but Monique says she hardly ever sees Uju's content. And so I am so intentional about like liking and retweeting nearly every post that Uju makes because I want to strengthen the algorithm, the connection between us so that I will keep seeing her content. If you don't do that, if you don't interact with a content provider that you like, you will probably only see like 10 to 20% of their work and the content that they're working on. So some people have speculated that Facebook and Twitter bans, shadow bans conservatives uh, because they use bots or to in their algorithms to kind of filter out themes related to keywords related to Christianity or the Second Amendment or pro-life issues. And um, I feel fairly confident that that happens based on my own experience. But just so you know, that can make it really hard to get good content. So that's working against you. All right. Number five, the fifth obstacle that kind of is in place when it comes to getting a content is satire. Satire news or comedy news often begins with an aspect of truth and then purposefully kind of twists it into a comment on society in a humorous way. Now, satire, you could argue, is like a form of intentionally fake news, but it means, well, it's trying to make us laugh, it's trying to make us laugh at ourselves. But it also, I've seen this happen so much. Um, it has the potential to be spread and shared as real news by people who don't understand that it's satire and it's intended to be humorous. Uh, a really good example of this is The Onion or the Babylon Bee. I don't have those graphics, but hopefully you know what they are. Um, the Babylon Bee is like a Christian version of The Onion and they have humorous pieces on there. But I've seen so many times on social media, people don't know it's a satire. And so they think like, what, is this for real? Like we're having water slides now for baptism? No, people, it's just the Babylon Bee. So, <laughs> you know, it's always a good question to ask. Is this a parody site if it seems really ridiculous uh, so you don't get duped? Okay, so you're already there. You're already in the third movement of anticipating where I'm going. And that is, what do we do about this? This is a mess. You know, what? How do I get better information? Well, I've got six tips to help you maintain credibility on social media. And again, just to refocus our conversation, why do we care? We care because Christians ought to prize the truth. We are a people who are rooted and grounded in a historically based religion. Um, and so we want to keep credibility in our social media feeds uh, because people are watching us. They're watching our testimony. We don't want to inadvertently undermine that by posting a lot of crazy ideas. So my first tip uh, to help maintain our credibility is to actually rely less on the mainstream media. Um, if you are getting your news, I really hate to say this, but I truly have come to this point. If you are getting your news from mainstream media sources, then I'm sad to say 
you're probably mostly ingesting a lot of propaganda. Um, there doesn't seem to be that much primary reporting that is happening on mainstream uh, news outlets anymore. Um, it's what I call repeating. Uh, they're not reporters, they're repeaters. <laughs> um, they don't, people don't really seem to research the news. And my eyes were really open to this when I worked, um, I did an internship at NBC News here in Burbank uh, when I was in college. And I worked as a news researcher um, and I worked in the education department. So I researched education oriented news pieces. And a lot of the news, like what I did to research education was I read five newspapers a day and I cut out news articles from newspapers. Um, and then the producers would go through the newspaper articles that I cut out and then they would write the news for the evening news from those articles. It was not research. <laughs> it was very peculiar to me. Um, so they had a 20 year old intern researching the news and then that became the foundation for what um, the anchors would read every night on the news. It was very strange to me. Um, and so I can only imagine what it's like now. Um, but it, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of primary source reporting that happens anymore. And so a lot of the stories are geared to present a narrative that is designed I think more as propaganda. It's designed to get our emotions going, to get us to feel a certain way and to believe a certain point of view. Um, and quite frankly, I find that approach um, somewhat emotionally exhausting. And so I don't really interact much with mainstream news sources anymore. But what's the alternative? It's, it's tricky. I'm going to tell you what I do. I'm not saying this is what you should do. I use Twitter a lot for this um, because you find things on Twitter that you don't find um, that the mainstream media reports. Um, but that can be both good and bad because there is a lot of weird stuff on Twitter. <laughs> a lot. Um, so you have to learn how to be very judicious in who you follow. Uh, and over the years of being on Twitter, I have found a few sources that seem to consistently um, break reliable and accurate news. And, and so I follow those people. I also follow people that I totally disagree with. Because I do want to understand the news from a different point of view. Um, so somebody like Sean King, he reports on a lot of race-oriented stories. I don't agree with Sean King on much politically, but he's very active in posting a lot of content about race issues. He breaks a lot of primary stories that have some importance, and he often breaks them nearly first. And so if you find people who put forth content that is interesting and they seem to have a pattern of bringing forth content um, in early and it's reliable. Even if you disagree with their point of view, it can still be instructive and helpful. So I find Twitter very valuable for that. That's how I primarily use Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter and you think you're going to get like a bunch of really interesting posts, that's not how I use Twitter. Um, I do retweet a few things, but um, mostly I use Twitter as my news source or to at least begin to help my research on a news story. But it takes a lot of time to do it that way um, because I have to do all my own fact checking, which basically leads me to my second point. Um, 
you will have to be more actively involved in your own fact checking. You cannot just click on the share button simply because somebody, even if you trust them, uh, has that has a history of reliable information. You have to do an amount of fact checking. You have to do a quick Google search at least. Ask some thoughtful questions. You know, how many outlets are reporting this story? How could this be corroborated? What could I look into to try to corroborate this? You have to be a bit of a detective. Now, there are fact checking sites out there. I don't necessarily recommend those. Many of them are funded by third parties with a lot of political agendas, um, Snopes, PolitiFact, and that sort of thing. Uh, even Facebook, as was mentioned earlier, has its own fact-checking service. It's completely biased um, toward a liberal point of view. And not that liberal is bad, but it definitely comes out, their agenda comes out in how they fact-check things. So when you look into something, you're going to have to spend some time sort of drilling down on things a little bit and doing some basic fact-checking of your own. Okay, number three, my third tip uh, is that you're going to need to track down primary sources. Um, you're going to have to take the time to find the original quote or document. Um, if you don't do this, your credibility will suffer. And there's just no shortcut for tracking down primary sources. Um, I don't ever recommend reposting something unless you have taken the time to research it and track down the primary sources. But here's a great example of something I saw the other day. Um, and this was in the context of this was a comment on Twitter um, in response to the shooting recently, the shooting video. So somebody just posted this infographic as a comment. Well, as you can see, first thing, it's all blurry. So it's been shared a lot of times, but notice that it's a very, um, uh, it's designed to really incite our emotions and, and, and to get us going about inequalities between black and white shootings. But I do want you to notice that it has at the top there, so where they got their statistics, the Bureau of Justice Statistics and the U.S. Department of Justice. Okay, so... I want to talk about primary sources. If you're going to post this, you're going to need to track down where did they get these numbers? And let me tell you, friends, it takes time. You might have hobbies. I recommend gardening. Go do something else more productive. Um, but because chasing down statistics on the DOJ website is not fun. But maybe that's your idea of fun. But before you just hit that share button on an infographic that looks really compelling and gets your emotions all going, if you want to keep credibility, you're going to have to take some time to research it. And that's not always easy. So if an article mentions a quote from a video, I strongly recommend go find the original video and listen to the whole quote in context. There was some time ago, we did a thing on Paula White on the show. And there was this kind of clip show that a liberal news outlet had put together of Paula White videos. Now, look, I'm not here to be the Paula White apologist, but I do want to treat her views accurately and fairly because in keeping with Matthew chapter seven 
Jesus summarizing the law and the, uh, the law and the prophets with the golden rule. I want to give Paula White that same courtesy that I would want her to give my positions. So there was this two minute trailer of all of these Paula White clips. Yours truly <laughs> went to YouTube and researched Paula White videos. It took me the better part of eight to 10 hours of watching Paula White videos to figure out if this short clip show was an accurate representation of Paula White's views. But that is how I live this out in my everyday life. I'm not going to share something if I don't think that it follows the Matthew 7 principle. If an article mentions a quote from an interview, you're going to need to go track down the original interview and read it in context. I can't tell you how many times when I've taken the time to do this, and I go look at the original context of what was quoted in the summary article, and the summary article has it wrong. They have it slanted in such a way that is not an accurate depiction of what the person actually believes. Now, not everybody's going to have time for this step. I get it. Go have a hobby. It's much more fun. Be with your family. But if you don't have time for this step, I want to caution you not to be sharing things on social media because this will damage your credibility and people will come for you. People in your social media feed who have researched things will come for you. Okay. Now, number four is, is this a parody site? This is a very important thing to ask is look at it. A friend sent me a screen cap just a few days ago of a tweet that said that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died earlier in the day. And it was all furry and uh, furry and fuzzy. And I was trying to struggle to read it, but I'd never heard of this source. It was like News 911 or something. And so I start looking and there's a News 911 Twitter feed. And then there's a parody News 911 Twitter feed. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so complicated. But as it turned out, it was a parody site. And RBG is not dead, as far as I know. And, but there are many of these parody sites out there. So if you look at something, um, one of the, the, the important things to do is look for the blue check mark. A blue check mark on Twitter will tell you that it's from an original source. And you want to look for that. Like, here's one that was up yesterday for Mother's Day from Planned Parenthood. And I wanted to know, is this... Is this a parody? <laughs> Planned Parenthood is wishing me a happy Mother's Day. That seems a little ironic. But if you see that check mark up next to Planned Parenthood, that's what you want to look for. Because that means it is the official Planned Parenthood feed. It's not a parody. And so if you suspect something that's a way of vetting, a pro another way of vetting a primary source, not getting duped, keeping your credibility, okay? Uh, my fifth tip for keeping good information is differentiate between facts and opinion. This is very basic. I know we teach this in second grade, but some of us need uh, to a little refresher <laughs> um, because it's a sorely lacking skill today on social media. 
when I do an explainer video on my channel, I try to be very careful to differentiate between facts, things that are publicly available, things that I have tracked down and verified, and my opinions, my takes on various topics. Now, news today, news, <laughs> should be about facts, but it's often written in a way to incite emotion. Don't fall into the trap, okay? Don't. Do everything you can to resist the trap because it is a trap that is waiting for you. Um, we don't want to bear false witness to, um, against our neighbor. We don't want to assign false motives to people. Keep your facts in one lane and your opinions and your analysis of those facts in a different lane. This is, this is an important intellectual discipline to have facts and opinions differentiated in your mind. And I know that many news stories are written in such a way that you think you're digesting facts, but it's really opinions and propaganda narratives. And so you have to dig a little deeper. You've got to do your, your research, your Google search minimum, your locate your primary sources, go read those scientific abstracts, go check out the government documents, you're going to have to take the time to sort it out. Okay, number six is vet the author and publisher's credibility. Now, oh, now we're getting into some tricky situations because a lot of these news outlets, you're going to have to understand their point of view, their worldview, and who finances them. So I've got a couple of infographics here just to give you an idea. Okay, this one is from a site called allsides.com. And they kind of have this infographic here of where different news outlets fall on the, the political spectrum from liberal to like way liberal, <laughs> somewhat liberal, uh, sort of middle of the road center, um, sort of Republican uh, or right leaning and then really right leaning. Now, I would question whether NPR is a central uh, news site. To me, it's a little more left-leaning, but there you go. There's one site's take on where the various um, news outlets fall. So if you read something like Breitbart, really right political-leaning news outlet, almost bordering on clickbaity at times, and how they report things. CBN is the Christian Broadcasting Network. So know your sources, know their points of view. Um, this is just the day and age in which we live. There's, there isn't this unbiased news source that I'm aware of. It, it, there, there's no unbiased, but it, it, you, you have to do some of your own sifting and also understand that you have a point of view. You so there's that. But even the term fake news assumes that there is something objectively true. There's something called real news. And so you have to learn how to differentiate between the facts and the opinions. That is a very difficult skill at times. Now, what about financing? The publishers of many of these news outlets are all they're all owned by like just a few people. I mean, they're all interconnected. Here's another infographic to just try to illustrate this. Now, the big, the big view of this is insane. 
Like these are all the news outlets and, and how they're interconnected and who owns them. But we see that like gatehouse media, look at all of the entities that are all under that umbrella. And so they all receive kind of the same news sources and then they repeat them to their venues. Now look, you see over to the left, there is NBC, but NBC is part of NBC and universal up there. Those are connected entities. And then CBS owns a whole bunch of entities over there. And they're all there. So when you really boil it down, there's really only a few companies who are sourcing almost all of our news. It's really fascinating. And so even if you have somebody that says like, well, we're a neutral source, you've got to ask yourself, well, who owns them? What's the conglomerate that owns them? So we see agendas coming through the news, but it should not surprise us as to why, because there's really only a few corporations that control the news. They control the narrative of how things are being reported. Okay, I want to say now a word about conspiracy theories. Now, the term conspiracy theory has really become a fairly pejorative term uh, that is kind of a synonym for things that people believe that are stupid and factually untrue. Now, I want to challenge that a little bit. I'm not sure that that term should necessarily be used that way. Um, If I think about more of a dictionary definition of a conspiracy, it's that multiple people are colluding to create a particular outcome. And we know from history that conspiracies are real. Conspiracies happen. People conspire for a particular outcome. Watergate is a classic example of a conspiracy that was real. Um, Some people conspired, some Republicans conspired to break into the Democratic election office um, during the Nixon administration to try to get insider information and help the Nixon campaign in the early 1970s. This was an actual conspiracy where people colluded together. Um, Just this last week, uh, there was some release of some unredacted documents that included handwritten notes from high-level FBI uh, employees that seemed to be engaging in a conspiracy, a collusion to frame General Flynn and send him to prison. So I think it's we need to be a little circumspect to say that conspiracy theory just means stupid things that people believe. Conspiracies do happen. They are a thing. And this is very important. They are often eventually uncovered because it's really, really, really hard for a bunch of people to all keep the same secret. You know, uh, it's hard. We live in the age of whistleblowers and the Internet. Uh, People can make a whole career from being a whistleblower. Um, Someone who was in on a conspiracy who comes forward and starts revealing insider secrets. That's, you know, a conspiracy can go wrong really quick in this day and age. Now, in order for some conspiracy theories to be true, It would literally require hundreds, possibly thousands of people to be in on the deception. Things of the magnitude or scope of like the moon landing being a hoax or like the earth being flat. Um, I know way too many credible scientists who 
who have worked in these fields. A conspiracy of this magnitude doesn't make sense. Okay. Um, that just doesn't make sense that you would, you know, where did they all gather to uh, work on their conspiracy stories? You know, Madison Square Garden, like there was, a, there, there, it's a lot of people and there would certainly be among them a whistleblower or five. So I'm not persuaded when somebody comes forward with a conspiracy that would require hundreds of people to know what it is. I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't find that persuasive. Um, but you know what the truth is? I'm going to tell you a little secret about myself. I like a good conspiracy theory. I actually lean toward believing a conspiracy theory or two, but I never talk about them in public. Why? Because if they turn out not to be true as a minister, my, my opportunity to, to preach the gospel to people would be totally shot. Okay. So we have to be very careful what we share in public there's things that we can believe privately. We can try on ideas. We can speculate with our friends. Um, like when things are just weird. Like, aren't there some things right now that you're thinking, that's just weird. I don't know if it's a conspiracy or not, but boy, that's weird. And this is weird. And this is weird. And there kind of seems, I could imagine some dots connecting these multiple weird things. Um, but when we post things about conspiracy theories on social media, I want to give you a word of caution, my friends. Be very, very careful because it is so easy to lose your credibility very quickly. So that's about all I'm going to say about conspiracy theories. Okay, in the final part of this teaching, you guys have been so patient. Thanks for hanging in there. I hope you're finding this interesting and helpful. I'm now going to actually apply some of the information I've been sharing, some of these tips on how I research things. So I have an inflammatory post <laughs> designed to get my emotions going. All right, we're going to look at that first. This is something I found on Facebook. This just passed in Oregon. Now, if a parent tests positive for COVID-19 as a 422, they have the right to come in your home and take your children in all capital letters. So oh, there's a lot of emotion getting going there. To the people that believe they are looking out for your safety, I ask how far are you willing to comply? Will you give them your children? Okay. This post is designed to make me worried and very upset. And then they have a screen cap here of a document from the Oregon Department of Health. And they highlighted this, this sort of what appears to be like a bit of a checklist uh, for a social worker. And it says here, effective 422, if in the case, in the course of an assessment, a caseworker or supervisor makes the determination that a child will enter substitute care because their caregiver is infected with COVID-19. The caseworker or supervisor will need to select a newly created case note value for tracking these specific entries. Okay. So the concern here is that on this form that would be used by social workers from the Oregon department of health, they would have the right to come in your home and take away your children. Okay. So before I click share, <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm going to do a quick Google search. I'm going to try to see if I can find this document and see if I can figure out the source. So I did that. I got the Oregon Department of Health. It has the same logo, so I know I'm in the right place. It has a big coronavirus update, so I'm like, okay, I'm on the .gov website. I can begin to look. Now, I used the search bar at the top of the page, and I typed in child welfare COVID. And I have that search result. And this is what I found was 
this page. And I was like, oh, okay, this is good. I'm, I'm getting closer. Child welfare resources during COVID-19 pandemic. And I scrolled down and I looked and I thought, oh, look, here is the same words. Statement regarding recent child welfare policy transmittal. Well, that's what was, that document had the word transmittal in its title. So I'm like, okay, let's click on that and see that information. Now it has this pop-up window. Now this tells me really quick, they must have had a lot of queries about this because it says it raised concern among stakeholders and community members. We want to be very clear. DHS Child Welfare in Oregon does not identify a parent's medical condition as a safety threat and sole removal for removal of children. We have the capability within our current rule and procedure to work with legal guardian parent on a voluntary basis to make a temporary plan for their children if they are too ill to care for their children. We would explore all options in the circumstance with friends, family, and community resources. Once we have exhausted all options, we would place the child in foster care. Okay, so they must have gotten a lot of inquiries about this from concerned people um, because the wording on that document, that was sort of unfortunate. I would have liked to have been in that uh, supervisor meeting. So now am I going to share this post? Now that's my question. Going back to the post, am I going to share this post on my social media feeds and put the department, the Oregon Department of Human Services on blast? Probably not. Because now I see that they've amended their document and making careful corrections. I don't want to mislead people about the facts. So I'm not going to share on that document. Now, I am the kind of person who really values freedom as an American. I think freedom is important. Okay. And I think freedom of religion is important. I think parents should be the people who raise their children. If you've heard any of my statements recently about sphere sovereignty, you know that that's my position. So this is a very like clickbaity kind of situation for me. It's something I'm passionate about. Parental rights. I don't trust the government completely. I am, like I said, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theory leaning person at times, but I don't talk about that in public. I don't talk about what conspiracy theories I sort of find a little bit persuasive or at least situations that seem weird to me. I don't talk about that in public, but I don't want to share this post because the wording in the post is not completely accurate. And I want to be careful to preserve my credibility. So maybe I would make some measured comments or maybe I'm now armed to help correct the facts. If I see people commenting on this in an inaccurate way, I can help step forward and be Matthew seven to those people. Because remember, I want to treat other people's opinions the way that I want my perspectives to be treated. Okay. I think that's all for tonight. Just kind of where we're going from here as a society. I do see a bit of some concerns I have. I think that we're going to see um, more and more censoring. I don't think this is a problem. It's going to be going away. Um, I think that a lot of things are being done right now for in the name of our good of what kind of information we can access. I think the internet is a great equalizer where we can look things up ourselves, but we have to be a little bit of a citizen reporter. I do hope that you've found this helpful. I do hope that you'll think about your takes and how you show up on social media and thinking about it from a Christian point of view, because people are watching. 
uh, your non-Christian friends are watching. And if you really want to have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, it's very important how we how we talk about these things before we just hit that share button or retweet button. Take some time to persevere, to fact check, and just share with your friends. If you find good news sources, share them with others. Let them know. So I hope you found this helpful. Please share. Hit on that share button if you feel like it's good. And remember, as Paul says in the book of 1 Thessalonians, to test everything and hold on to that which is good. Put the words to the test. I really hope that you found the teaching helpful and if, that you test everything out for yourself in, in the spirit of Christian charity and love. Thanks so much for watching. Good night. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.